0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings and chapter number 14. The book of 1 Kings and chapter number 14. We're continuing to go through the lineage of Jesus Christ, tracing 64 generations from Adam to Jesus Christ, going through the kingly line that is mentioned inside of the gospel record of Mark and tracing it through history. Well, on Sunday morning, we started with the actual kings of Israel and Judah, starting with David. David was a man after God's own heart. After that, he trained Solomon, who was the wisest man who had ever lived. And we watch as Solomon had a good beginning, but he did not have a good ending. And now as Solomon has passed away, the kingship had passed to his son, Rehoboam. And in the book of 1 Kings chapter number 14, God gives a summary of the life of Rehoboam. 1 Kings chapter 14, and notice with me if you don't mind, 1 Kings chapter 14, and notice with me in verse number 21. 1 Kings 14, starting at verse 21. The Bible says this, And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was forty and one years when he began to reign. And he reigned seventeen years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Naamah an Amorite. And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they committed, above all that their fathers had done. For they had built themselves high places, and images, and groves on every hill and under every green tree. And there was also sodomites in the land, and they did according to the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass in the fifth year of Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He even took away all. And he took away the shields of gold which... Solomon had made. And Rehoboam and King Rehoboam made in their stead brazen shields and committed them into the hands of the chief of the guard which kept the door of the king's house. And it was so when the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard bare them and brought them back into the guard chamber. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the king of Judah? And there was a war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried in with his fathers in the name in the city of David. And his mother's name was Naamah an Amoritus. And Abijam his son reigned in his stead. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I would like you to connect a couple things together. If you don't mind for the ease of having things in the same place, notice with me in verse number 27, we have King Rehoboam. And I want you to notice at the very end of verse number 26, we have shields of gold. And then in verse number 27, brazen shields. So with this we want to connect them all together and describe Rehoboam's life like this. Trading gold for bronze. Trading gold for bronze. And with the Lord's help we'd like to do a character study on this historical figure of King Rehoboam, the king of Judah. The first king of the the southern kingdom of the divided kingdom. Rehoboam Trading gold for bronze. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you and explore this historical figure, we know that every life teaches a message. Every life could be an example, a good example or a bad example. I'm asking that you would just help us as we examine Rehoboam's life, and that we can make applications in our life to seek you, to put you first, to prepare our heart to seek after you, so that way we are not making something the wrong goal in our life, and that we don't trade out for what you want us to have for things that are much cheaper indeed. Lord, help us even now. Fill me with your spirit and order this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With this we could see as Rehoboam, a description of his life, he traded something that was more valuable and he traded it for something that was less valuable. And this was something that was characteristic of his entire life. If you don't mind, I'd like to trace three different times where he traded something that was more valuable. To something that was less valuable. The very first thing I'd like to bring to your attention is that he traded wisdom for foolishness. He traded wisdom. For foolishness. Now for this, let's turn back a couple chapters to 1 Kings chapter number 12. 1 Kings chapter number 12. And as you're turning there, let me remind you that the first king of the United Kingdom would be Saul. King Saul was the man after the people's own heart. King Saul ruled over Israel for 40 years. After that came a man after God's own heart, King David. And King David ruled. 40 years. After King David came King Solomon and King Solomon also reigned 40 years. And Solomon was the last king of the United Kingdom because it was the foolishness of his son that divided the kingdom of Israel into two parts. And we read about this historical event in 1 Kings chapter number 12. And notice with me as we start verse number one. Now, um, Something that was implied in the last chapter, or said in the next chapter, I want to bring to your attention, is that King Solomon had built a great kingdom that King Solomon, through his wisdom, built a tabernacle or a temple for it, built the house of the Lord, had built a great palace, had extended the borders of Israel. In fact, during King Solomon's time, the influence of Israel was felt to the rest of the nations. So much so that people would travel from Africa, from Asia, from Europe to come and hear King Solomon and his wisdom. One of those examples would be the queen of Sheba who came up and when she heard Saul and heard everything. She said the half could never have been told. King Solomon had built just a wonderful empire of influence. It happened to be at a time where the Assyrian Empire happened to be on their uh one of their low points and so they weren't uh, forcing themselves on other nations. It allowed King Solomon's kingdom to expand to great heights. It was during King Solomon's reign that they actually opened up a port at the Red Sea and they were bringing in exotic animals and exotic things from all over the world. From India, from Africa, from all kinds of things. And they were bringing them up. A King Solomon had built an entire thing. Now we had mentioned before how long King Solomon had reigned. He reigned for 40 years. And the Bible gives an account that Rehoboam the king became king when he was 41. You know what that means? He was alive for the entire reign of his father Solomon. He witnessed King Solomon and his wisdom. He watched King Solomon... Grow the kingdom with God's blessing and his influence. He even saw some of the bad things in Solomon's life. But he had saw the whole thing grow. And he had an appreciation of what his father had done as king of Israel. And now as Solomon has passed, Rehoboam's now in charge. He's 41 years old. I want you to keep that in mind. Some people have in mind in this story that he's a teenager or a punk kid. He's 41 years old when we start in 1 Kings chapter number 12. 1 Kings 12, notice with me in verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all of Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And when it came to pass, when Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt. Let me... Put a pause here. Jeroboam was an enemy of Solomon, but because of Solomon's power and wisdom, Jeroboam could do nothing, and so he was exiled from. Uh, Israel, and he had parked into Egypt for a while. Now when he heard that Rehoboam had become king, Jeroboam comes out of Egypt and he is going to show up at this coronation ceremony to see this new king and what he is like. Now he's the enemy of Solomon, so by default he's going to be the enemy of Rehoboam. Notice with me in verse number three. They sent and called him, And Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake to Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke which he put upon us lighter, and we will serve thee. Now... Solomon had done so many building projects and so many things to expand the kingdom. They, people of Israel had brought Jeroboam and said, you be our spokesperson. And they went to Rehoboam and said, listen, your father put a lot of projects. There was a lot of things going on. How about this? You lighten the load a little bit. You ease up. Let's ease up just a bit and we will gladly serve you if you just ease the load. Now that's not unreasonable to ask. So notice what his reply was, verse number five. And he said to them, Rehoboam said to the crowd, depart yet for three days and come again to me and the people departed. So Rehoboam said, all right, give me three days to think about this. All right, that's nothing bad with not giving an instant answer. Let's think about it. Let's research this. Verse number six. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon, his father, why he yet lived, and said, how do you advise that I may answer the people? And they spake unto him, saying, if thou will be a servant unto this people this day. Notice this. He said, your job as king is to be a servant. Be a servant to the people. You try to be a help to them. You be a blessing. If thou will be a servant to this people this day and will serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. Now, this is wise counsel. He says, listen, you as a king, don't see yourself as a ruler. See yourself as a servant. You find ways to serve them and they will be loyal to you. This is easy. And so he said, all right, fine. That's what the old guys say. He didn't like that answer, by the way. So let's go find someone to give me the answer that I want. Verse number eight. But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they give it him, and consulted with the young men, which were grown up with him which stood before him. And he said to them, what counsel give ye that we may answer the people? Now notice this, that we may answer the people. He went to his buddies. Now he's 40 years old. When they're talking about young people, aren't you glad that they're considering young people 40? That's great. Uh, And the older people are older than 40 somewhere. We don't know how old they are. But here he's gone to his buddies, the young men, the ones that grew up with him. And says, all right, what should we go tell the people? And verse number 9, And he said to them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people, who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke of thy father did put upon us lighter. And the young men that had grown up with him spake to him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak to this people, that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father had made our yoke heavy, but thou make it lighter to us. Thou shalt say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. Now whereas my father did lay you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke my father chasten you with whips, but I will chasten you with scorpions. So their advice was, listen, you go tell them, you go be the man. And you go up there and as a man and you say, listen. My father was a man-man, but I'm a manly man. And let me tell you, you are going to be my slaves. You do what I tell you to do. That was different advice. The advice of the old people is you be a servant to them. The advice of the young men is they serve you. Well, as a young man full of pride, full of foolishness, well, that sounded good. There's something about all of us that we want people to serve us. It's very hard for us to get the mentality that our job is to serve others. The wise advice, become a servant. Foolish advice, make others your servant. So Jeroboam, verse 12, And all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people, Roughly, And forsake the old man's counsel that they gave to him. And spake to them after the counsel of the young man, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chastened you with whips, but I will chasten you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people... For the cause was from the Lord, that he might perform the saying which the Lord spoke to Ahijah the Solonite, to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So when all Israel saw the king hearken not unto them, the people answered the king, What portion have we of David? Neither have we inheritance with the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel! Now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed for the tents. Alright, so twelve tribes of Israel have showed up to their brand new king. Now, as the new king came up, they had a request. Make our load easier. Let's lighten things up. And the old men said, serve them. The Young men said, no, make them your servants. And so when Rehoboam tried to enforce his will, the people said, no, nope, see you later. Bye. We're no, we quit. Can you imagine what a sight that would be to his pride when everybody just turned around and left and said, nope, you're not our king. Bye. Hey, wait. What do you do? And they all just left. Well, verse number 17. But as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam ruled over them. So immediately, there's 12 tribes of Israel. Two tribes stayed in the southern kingdom. Benjamin and Judah. The rest of them took off and left them all alone. The kingdom is now divided. Verse number 18. And then King Rehoboam sent Ahadarum, who was over the tribute, and all Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. So he sent the tax collector, the IRS, to the northern kingdom to collect taxes, because after all, they're his people, and they killed the tax collector, just to say, hey listen, we're not your kingdom anymore. (laughs) You want to be this way? We don't want to have you. See ya. And notice again, verse number 18 at the end of it, therefore King Rehoboam made speed to get him to his chariot and to flee from Jerusalem. You would run too if all of a sudden they killed your tax collector and figuring you were next on the chopping block. Verse 19, so Israel rebelled against the house of David to this day. And it came to pass when Israel heard that Jeroboam had come again, they sent and called him to the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. So now we have the divided kingdom. And why was the kingdom divided? Because Rehoboam, he traded wisdom for foolishness. You know, this didn't have to be this way. But because of his foolishness, because he listened to the wrong people, the whole place was divided. You know, as a ruler, you have a responsibility and your decisions affect entire nations. Here is a man who was given a wonderful kingdom with great influence And he destroyed it on his first three days as king. Just gone. Why? Because he traded wisdom and exchanged it for foolishness. That's a bad trade. And there was bad results. You know, there's something else as we turn back to 1 Kings chapter 14. A second thing that we see in the life of Rehoboam. Where he traded something that was better for something that was weaker. He traded a relationship with the Lord with false religion. He traded a relationship with the Lord. For false religion. Notice with me in verse number 22. two. First Kings 14 and verse 22. And Judah under the influence of their king, by the way, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they provoked him, provoked God, to jealousy with their sins which they committed. Remember, we've talked about that word provoke before. It carries the picture of taking a stick and putting it inside of a cage of a lion or a bear. Poke, poke, poke. Uh, Some of us have siblings who are pretty good at poke, 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 poke. And that's what it's like because they chose not to follow after God and they purposely chose something else, they're poking God. Poke, 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 poke. How good of a relationship are you going to have someone that you poke over and over and over? Not a good one. And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord and they provoked him to jealousy. You said God gets jealous? Yes, because he deserves all worship. And when you worship something that's not him... Doesn't he have every right to be jealous? Let's say that my wife, who is a living person, I love my wife. But instead of loving my wife like I should, there is my favorite car. Oh, I love my car more than my wife. Is my car real? I mean, it's there, but is it alive? Does it give feelings back? No. Does she have every right to be jealous if I love my car more than her? Yes, because it's a thing. It's not real. Well, God's a real God. And when you love and adore and worship something that's not even real, doesn't God have a right to be jealous and say, should you worship me? It's not even real. And they did. Now notice in verse 23, it starts talking about these things here. Uh, Verse 22 Or verse 23. And they, speaking of Judah the nation, built them high places and images and groves. Now, we're going into the weeds here. The idea of high places, you'll see this throughout the Bible. It has the idea that people thought the higher you got, the closer you would be with a god. And so they would build their worship sites on high hills, high places, figuring that that latitude would be make a difference. If I could be higher, elevation would be difference. Then they had high places and images. So they would have false images. Then they would have groves. You say, what's wrong with a grove? And every high hill and every green tree. Now this carries the idea that people would worship... Uh, And get involved with sexual sins. Anytime that you see the idea of groves in the Bible. It's always a bad worship site. Where people would worship their gods. Like Ashtaroth the fertility goddess Ishtar. With sexual sins. And that's how they would worship their god. And so what we're seeing is all these sexual sins now being involved. There's lots of them. Verse 24 talks about more and that they're like them. But there's a plethora of sexual sins. We always find this in the Bible that immorality will follow after idolatry. That once you stop serving God and worship something else, immorality will follow suit. God is our moral compass. When God is no longer our moral compass, then it's going to show up in our sexual sins. No wonder we see this in America. We no longer have God as our God. And so we've replaced it with sexual sins. It's something that follows suit. Now, instead of having a kingdom that's worshiping God, there's a kingdom now that's worshiping everything else. By the way, he had the opportunity to do right And he didn't. Hold your finger here and turn with me to this book of 2 Chronicles uh, and chapter number 12. Remember, 2 Chronicles is the retelling of the kings in a different perspective. And I want you to see this. Where did this all come from? Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 12. And notice with me in verse 1. And now we're coming back to 2 Kings 14. Don't lose your place there. And it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. Why did Judah get involved with all these sexual sins? Because their leader stopped following God and they followed the leader. If their leader isn't doing what's right, everyone else is going to follow suit. And so As Rehoboam, he traded a relationship with the Lord, and he traded it for false religion and sin. That was a weak trade-off, because when it's all said and done, is Ashtaroth or Ishtar going to answer his prayers? When it's all said and done, is Baal going to be the one he has to give an account to when he stands before the judgment seat? No. He's traded it off, and he's the whole time he's provoking God. Is that going to produce good results? No. So, what he's done is he's traded something that was great, God, with something that was lesser, false gods. As you come back to 1 Kings 14, we see a third thing that he traded. We see he traded something that was real with something that was a facade. He traded what was real to something that was a facade. What do we mean by this? Well, He's become king. He's now lost 10 tribes of Israel. They're gone. He's left behind just Judah and the absorbed tribe of Benjamin. And guess what? All the army is gone too. He doesn't have troops no more. He has got some guards, but he doesn't have enough. He doesn't have a big enough army to withhold anything And Egypt was just waiting for this. Notice with me verse 25. And it came to pass in the fifth year of the king of Rehoboam that Shishak king of Egypt came up against Jerusalem. And now they have no defenses. Here's the king of Egypt with all of his army that comes up, marches right in and there's nothing Rehoboam can do about it. And so he just has to allow them to come and take whatever they want. Notice if you don't mind. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house... He even took away all, and he took away the shields of gold which Solomon had made. Now, as a symbol of wealth and prestige, the shields would have been built as a testimony of God's blessing and favor upon the nation. Solomon had built 300 large shields that you could hide your body behind, and he took 300 small shields made with three pounds of gold into one shield. Now, these were ceremonial shields. You wouldn't use them in battle, but they were to be portrayed on the walls, be portrayed in the halls, be portrayed with ceremonial soldiers just to look like, look at the wealth and blessings that we had. Well, when Shishak comes, he says, looks at all this gold and says, Hey, thank you for making them for me. I'll take them. I'll take them all. Now, for each large shield, in today's money, each large shield, just one shield, would cost about $357,000. Wouldn't you like to have one of those shields now? Yeah. $350,000, and there was a lot of shields. The smaller shields would be about $72,000. All the shields put together would total in today's economy, $93 million. By the way, how prosperous of a kingdom do you have to be just to put $93 million as ornaments? That's a pretty uh, wealthy kingdom. And it was a symbol of God's blessing. And so when the enemy comes in and sees all of this just hanging around, let's take it. And so they took it all. Now remember, it was a display for everyone to see about God's blessing and God's prosperity. Well, Rehoboam didn't want to admit to everyone that he'd lost God's favor. He lost God's blessing and lost God's prosperity. So now he has to put up a false front. That's what a facade is, a false front. Notice what he did in verse 27. And King Rehoboam made in their stead of the gold shields brazen shields and committed them into the hands of the chief guard which kept the king's house. Now in order to hide his defeat he built bronze shields to be replaced and hopefully fool the public uh, for their weakness. Now brass is not the same as gold. Nowhere near. It's a cheap replacement. It's something that you put together. It's pretty cheap. It was pretty inexpensive. And so what he did is he put the bronze shields in the place. And so when they would have quick ceremonies, uh, they would put the shields up. And for someone who would be ushered by, look at the prosperity that we have here. All right, let's go to the next room. They would have it. So you would look at it really quick and think, oh, look at how expensive they are. And then when no one was looking, they would take all of them, put them in storage. So that way no one could invest him and study him later on. And what he was trying to do was trying to put a false front that everything is okay. And everything was not okay. What happens when someone goes away from God and they get away from God's goodness and they get away from God's blessing and they get away from God's just presence then what folks have to do is they have to replace it with something that is a facade. It's a cheap substitute, but they try to put on a good false front to make everyone think that their life is going great when it is not going great. It is a cheap substitute. There's nothing you could replace that would equal God's blessings and God's mercies. Nothing you could do that would equal God's goodness and yet people try to do it all the time. Notice if you don't mind. Let's see this description in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter number 12. What, how can we summarize what happened? Where did things go wrong? What happened in Solomon's life? Where, what was this? The book of 2 Chronicles chapter 12. 2 Chronicles chapter 12. Where did the replacement begin? Did it begin with the gold shields? Did it go with, uh, with exchanging wisdom with foolishness? Where did it begin? Where did the fall of Rehoboam truly start? The book of 2 Chronicles chapter number 12 tells us this. 2 Chronicles chapter 12. Notice with me in verse 14. Speaking about Rehoboam. And he, Rehoboam, did evil. Why? Because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. This is where it all fell apart. He didn't prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And so instead of having the blessings, and start of, instead of living with the blessings God wanted him to have, he had a cheap substitute that didn't match out. Why? Because he did not prepare his heart To seek the Lord. Now notice this idea. He did not prepare his heart. What this carries with is a purposeful. Intentional decision. To follow after God. This isn't an accidental thing. He did evil. Because he did not decide. I'm going to read my Bible. Remember before anyone ever has a public fall. It starts with a private failing someone decided they did not want to read their Bible. It started with someone not deciding to pray. You know, it wasn't an idea that says, I don't want to read my Bible. It just didn't make a decision to read their Bible. It didn't start with, I don't want to pray. It's just, they didn't make a decision, I'm going to pray. It didn't start with a decision, well, I'm not going to be faithful to God's house. It just it wasn't a decision. I'm going to be faithful." You see, the problem in most people's life is that they don't start off by saying, "I've decided to follow Satan." The problem is that they didn't make any decision at all, and they thus made the wrong decision. In order to follow God, it happens by a purposeful, intentional decision. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, "Woohoo! I've been accidentally following God this whole time. You follow God always on purpose. You decide you're going to go to church. You decide you're going to read your Bible. You decide you're going to pray. You're going to decide to walk with God. That's a decision you have to make before you do it. You will never follow God by accident. And when you fail to make that decision, the Bible says that you're evil. He did evil in the sight of the Lord because he did not prepare his heart to serve God. And what happens because of that is that people, let's just apply it to church. We're not talking about atheists. We're not talking. We're talking about people who claim to be Christians. And because they don't have God's blessings. In order to try to fool everyone else that they're doing all right, they have to put up a facade. They put up a false front. Everything's going all right. God's blessing me with finances. Honey, are we paying the bills this week? Hey, I'm doing fine. Oh, my family's falling apart and I know what to do. My kids are doing great, by the way. Oh man, I'm really worried. I don't know what's going to happen to them. And people put on a false front and they tried to fool everyone. They tried to put up a facade that everything's all right and it's not. Because they've exchanged the blessing of God with something less. Instead of making God their goal, they've made something else their goal. And they've replaced what is real with something that's imaginary. They've replaced the wisdom that comes from following God with the foolishness of this world. They've replaced walking with God with false worship of something else. And it shows up. That's what Rehoboam's life says. Here was someone who was, grew up in, with a dad and a grandfather who walked with God. He had influence. He knew what was right. But he chose not to. He grew up in a place where he knew he needed to be faithful to the house. His father built the temple. Did he know that he was supposed to be faithful to God's house? Yes. Did he know that he was supposed to read God's word? Yes. Didn't Solomon write Proverbs primarily for Rehoboam? The answer is yes. Many times do you think Solomon told him when Rehoboam was growing up, read these Proverbs, they're going to help you. They're going to give you wisdom. These are here for you, son. I'm trying to equip you. And Rehoboam at times said, not that big of a deal. And now he's exchanged everything. Here was someone who didn't grow up in an awful home. He grew up in a good home. But he exchanged it all because he did not prepare his heart to follow the Lord. When we deal with folks, including folks like you, we know that You have to make a purposeful choice to follow after God. You have to make a decision. I'm going to read my Bible. This is where I'm going to read my Bible. When I'm going to read my Bible. How long i am going to read my Bible? Because if you don't, you won't read your Bible. And It's not because you're evil. It's not because, you know, I hate God's word. I don't want to ever read it again. Just because you didn't make a decision to do it, you don't. Well, if I get time to pray, I'll pray. You'll never have time to pray. If I feel good enough, I'll show up to church. You'll never feel good enough to go to church. Something will always get in the way, someone will always take the time. And what's going to happen is that God could have given you so many more blessings, but instead, you got something cheaper. And now you have to try to make everyone think that you're doing all right because heaven forbid we're honest and say we're struggling. We're hurting. We need something. I'm missing something in my mind. Something we all like to do. Isn't it true? We ask how you're doing and your answer is, I'm fine. Even inside you're saying, I'm not fine and I'm hurting so badly and I need help and I don't know what to say and I don't know where to go and I don't want people to think that we're not doing alright. Because of pride. That's what Rehoboam was doing. He wanted everyone to think his king was still, kingdom was still doing great even though half, more than half of it went away. Even though his blessings went away, he was still trying to fool everyone that the kingdom was doing all right and he was doing all right when they weren't. So we don't want you to have that same ending that Rehoboam had. Anyone could put on a false front. Anyone can say, oh preacher, I love my Bible and you haven't read it in weeks. Anyone can say, oh God's given me blessings but you haven't prayed and talked to him in such a long time. And he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. That carries the idea that he made a pur- did not make a purposeful decision to follow God. And so therefore, because God was not his goal, he got other weaker goals instead.